So Acts 18, as we read, remember, this is in the fallible word of God. So after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontius, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. Because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome, and he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked for their tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. And when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word that is testified to Jews and that Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titus Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household, and many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. But I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them, as far as the reading of God's word. It was in the little island known today as the country of Vanuatu, located in the South Pacific Ocean, east of Papua New Guinea, that a Scottish missionary in the 19th century, John Payton, a Presbyterian minister, he decided to do missions. At first instance, his presbytery was very against it. They tried to reason with him and give him reasons why he shouldn't go there. It was a dangerous place. There are cannibals on that island. But John Payton, he convinced his presbytery to let him go. As he told them, it will make no difference to me whether I am eaten by cannibals or by worms. And in that great day, my resurrection body will rise as fair as yours in the likeness of our risen Redeemer. However, I believe that Peyton, he wasn't prepared for the things that he was going to see on that island. In his autobiography, he reminds us of the horrible things that happened to him on that island. And one of the things that happened with him was that during a moment when he was in his house, the natives, they started having a party. And to celebrate their party and to bring food to their party, they went through the tribe and they chose six women, which they killed, they cooked, and they ate to celebrate that party. Of course, Peyton, he wasn't prepared for that. Can you imagine yourself on his shoes? Would you be afraid of that? Of course, uh, I would be afraid of serving in a place 
like that. But we as Christians, we often face fear when we think about evangelizing, don't we? It's not only Peyton. We sometimes, we, when we think about evangelizing others, we also are fearful of their reaction. We think, what are they going to say about me? How my friends, they are going to react if I tell them about Jesus? What about my job? Perhaps I may lose my job. People, they think that they might lose their friends because of Christ, because of telling people about Christ. So we, we live in a society, in a place and day and age that people, they think twice before sharing the gospel with others. Now, this situation is not unique to us. The Apostle Paul, in the context that we read here, he also faced a situation where he was fearful. He was fearful to the point that Christ himself had to appear to him in a vision to encourage him. And Christ wants to do the same thing with us tonight. He wants to encourage each one of us to share the gospel, to keep speaking, even when we are fearful. So, Christian, regardless of your fear to share the gospel, you need to understand this evening and have firming in your mind that the encouragement that we need and that we have to share the gospel with others, even in the midst of persecution, it comes from Christ. In this text, we are going to learn that it is in Christ that we find the encouragement to minister to others. We are encouraged by Christ's commands, promises, and works. Christian, you are encouraged by your Savior's Savior commands and promises and works to share the gospel regardless of the fear that you may have. And that's what we find here in this passage. So as we examine what the Lord has to say to us this evening, the first thing that I want you to consider in this text is that we are encouraged by Christ's commands to share the gospel. Think for a minute about the context of Paul. He is in Corinth, which is one of the cities that he visits. He visits during his second missionary trip has been in Athens, has, has been in Berea, has been in Thessalonica, and now he finds himself in one of the most wicked cities of his time. A city that was also known for being a wealthy city where people, they would spend money, money freely in sinful pleasures, but also a city known for their immorality, they had one temple that was boasting that they had a thousand prostitutes freely offered to any foreigner coming into their city. And that's what one, that's, that was one of the things they would boast about. So Paul, he finds himself in this society that is in love about sexual morality, is in love about money, and it is in that context that Jesus himself, he appears to Paul in a vision, and he gives him two commandments. So the first commandment that we find here in verse 9 is not to be afraid. Do not be afraid 
for. Now we need to stop here for a second and ask why or what is making Paul afraid? Is he not having a fruitful ministry? We, we just learned here that many heard the gospel and were baptized. So that wasn't what was making him afraid. Perhaps we, we may think Paul was lacking courage to do the work of a missionary or for ministry. But we find in chapter 14 of the book of Acts that Paul, he wasn't a man who lacked courage. We learn in that chapter that after the Jews from Antioch and Iconium dragged him out of the city and stoned him, Paul, he stood up. And you know what he did? He entered the city again after just being stoned to preach the gospel. He's, so he's not someone who lacks courage to share the gospel. We also know from Galatians 1 that this man, he did not fear other men. We find in Galatians 1 that Paul he faced Peter when Peter was coming and, and, and doing something that was not according to the gospel. He faced him and he rebuked one of the first apostles. So he wasn't either afraid of men. So the question is, what causes this apostle Paul, who is so well known in the Bible, who wrote so many books, who did so many things, to be afraid in this moment of his missionary life. I think that one of the ways for us to answer that question is to examine Scripture. Scripture gives us the answer and helps us to understand uh, texts like this where there is not a clear answer uh, for that question. So if you have your Bibles open with me, uh, I, I hope that you have your Bible. Please open with me 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3. In this letter, as he's addressing that church that he planted, Paul, he makes a confession. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he tells them, in weakness, in fear, and much trembling, I came to you. In weakness, in fear, and much trembling. And what brings us to conclude that the dangers and the difficulties of ministering to that church, into that culture, to that society, had affected Paul's disposition to preach the gospel. Now the Lord gives him the command not to be afraid, not to fear. But he also gives him another commandment in this verse 9, which is to go on speaking and do not be silent. Jesus is telling Paul, do not let fear, do not let fear keep you from speaking, from preaching the gospel. Now this passage is a remarkable passage because we do not find very often in the book of Acts Jesus appearing to the other apostles in a vision. We don't find that very often. And here the Lord, he appears to Paul because something was happening. He was afraid, and because he was afraid, that was affecting his preaching. So the Lord appears to Paul, first of all, because of the necessity of him to speak. The necessity of preaching the gospel. How can a missionary 
do missions if he's not sharing the gospel? How can the Lord save if we are not using the means by which he gave to his church to bring salvation to all the nations? That's why Paul himself, he writes to the Romans, saying salvation comes by hearing, by hearing the word of God. So the preaching of the gospel is the means by which ordinarily God he saves people. But the vision of Jesus is important in this context because, as I said, fear always affects our ability to share the gospel and our ability to preach. When fear dominates someone or a preacher, he cannot purely and freely preach the gospel anymore. He becomes afraid of what people are going to think if he declares the gospel. He becomes afraid of how people are going to react to the full exposition of the gospel. And he doesn't do that purely anymore. So John Calvin commenting this text, he says, Nothing is more contrary to the pure and free preaching of the gospel than the straight of a fainty heart. So fear... When fear dominates the heart of the preacher or the heart of the one sharing the gospel, we can't freely and purely expose the gospel anymore. Now, Christian, what about you this evening? Have you ever been afraid of sharing the gospel with someone? Think about the society of the Corinthians. It's not in many ways different from our society. They lived a life based on sexual immorality and money, a meaningless life, ruled by money and sexual pleasure. A society hostile to the gospel. Not very different from ours. Sometimes we don't stop and think that 60 years ago, the Supreme Court of this country prohibited schools of reading the Bible and praying. If that's not persecution against Christianity, what is it? We live in a society where every year we see the persecution coming against the church and Christians. Even in our own context, we must share the gospel regardless of what people will say or react. And he is encouragement of Christ himself for us this evening, because this commandment can be applied to every person here this evening. So the same word is valid for us. Christian, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Go on speaking. Do not be silent. We have something to offer to the world. We have something that they don't have, which is the hope of eternal life. So do we, if you really want to love someone and love your neighbor, there is nothing more loving for you to do as a Christian than to share the truth of the gospel. You see, we don't have to be afraid. But instead, we need to share to the world that we have a God who brings meaning to our lives. We have a God who gives us an identity we have a God who changes hearts, who makes a sinner 
to believe in Christ and to change his ways. A Lord who is sanctifying his people and preparing them to a meaningful life where they will spend the rest of their lives with their Savior. We have a hope that the world doesn't have. But we also find in this text, and that's the second, this is the second thing that I want you to consider in this passage, is that we are encouraged by Christ's promises to share the gospel as well. Pay attention to verse 10. Christ is giving to Paul here two promises. The first one is that I am with you. He's promising his presence. You see what encouragement we find here in this passage. Christ is telling Paul, doesn't matter what happened. You don't need to fear. I am with you. My presence will be with you. Matthew Henry wrote a commentary in the entire Bible. He writes saying that it is God's presence that puts an honor upon the worthless. Wisdom and strength into the weak and foolish makes the greatest difficulties dwindly to nothing and is enough to answer all objections. What else do we need? If Christ is saying, I am with my church, I'm going to encourage you, I'm going to bless you, I will be with you, doesn't matter what happens. What else do we need as a church, as Christians? The promise is that Christ's presence will be with us. Perhaps you have asked a question in your life before as you are faced with opportunities to share the gospel with others. Have you ever asked yourself, who am I to talk with others about Jesus? Even at church, sometimes we think about that. Who am I to preach the gospel? Who am I to teach a Sunday school? Who am I to serve the church? And the answer for that question is not a very difficult answer. But it's an answer that we sometimes we don't think about it. Because the truth is, is that we are nobody. Who are we? We are, we are nobody. We are nothing. It is Christ's presence, not us. It is Christ's presence that enables us to share the gospel. Because we have been united to Christ, we are able to share the gospel and present the truth of the gospel to others. But Christ, he gives Paul another promise as well in this text. He tells him that no harm will come after him. No one will attack him. Christ is promising protection. Now, if you look at me with me in verse 12, you see that Paul is receiving an attack right there on verse 12. So how do we understand this text? If Christ is promising him that nobody's going to attack him, and right on verse 12, there is attack against him. So I want you to see that Christ, what Christ is saying here, it's not that no attack is going to come after him, but it is that their attempts to attack Paul would be frustrated because the Lord has 
already determined to deliver him out of their hands. So there is a protection. There is no harm going against his physical body happening here. There is a protection uh, coming to the life of Paul. But we need to see in this text as well that God, on verse 10, that God is giving to us here the purpose for these promises or why he is to speak the gospel or to share the gospel. And what we are being told here in verse 10 is that God has many in this city who are his people. And that's the purpose of why God is making these promises to Paul. Now, the first thing that we need to ask is, who are these people? The first thing that we learn here is that these people, they are people who will come to Christ. So they are not converts yet. But those are the people that God has predestined to eternal life. That's why God is calling them my people. Even before they came and they formed a church and they became part of the Christian church, they already been called my people. People who are dead in their sins and trespasses, but people that God has elected from all eternity to be part of his church. And here is the foundation for missions, isn't it? We don't know who these people are. Paul didn't know who those people were. We don't know who these people were. Therefore, we are going to the ends of the earth and preaching the gospel and sharing the gospel with others. That's why we go to our work environment and we preach the gospel to others. That's why missions, they are happening in the city, outside of the city, in countries that we never thought about these countries before. Because we don't know who these people are, but we do know that God, He has His people everywhere in the world. And again, we need to bring the gospel to them. And salvation comes by hearing, and by hearing the word of God. What a great comfort and encouragement is to hear what Jesus is telling Paul in this text. You see, we learned from this passage that God has his people and the only thing that the church needs to do now is to proclaim the gospel the church is not saving people the church is not bringing people to Christ that's the work of God that's the work of the Holy Spirit we don't send missionaries through the world saying go there give me numbers give me results I want to see people being saved. We can't do that because that's not their ability. They can't do that. But we pray that as they preach the gospel, that the Holy Spirit would work in their hearts of unbelievers and they will come to Christ. And we will get to know those who are also part of God's people. See, Christian, let me remind you this evening That God has promises to his church. He tells us that the gates of hell, they will never prevail against his church. And the reason for that, it's not because there is a group of really nice people here doing really nice things. 
But the reason for that is because God Himself, Christ our Savior, He's present in the life of His church. He's still being the King of the church even in the year 2024. He's the King of the church ruling and defending us and restraining and conquering all His and our enemies. Nobody can defeat the King of the church. We do not need to fear. God's presence is with us. Persecution will come. And so what? It came to Christ. It came to the apostles. It came after the church through the centuries. And the church kept faithfully preaching the gospel. So Christian, be reminded of this. Christ is with his people. He's not far away from us. He is with his people. And finally, the last thing that I want you to be uh, encouraged of is, and the last thing that I want you to notice in this text, is that we are encouraged by Christ's works to share the gospel regardless of our fears. So in verse 11, we are told that Paul, he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. So Paul, he's here planting a church. Paul did keep on speaking in the face of opposition. And for the first time we see in the book of Acts that Paul, he really stopped in a city and he stayed there for 18 months preaching the gospel. Sometimes we read this passage really fast and we, we have no idea of what's happening here and we don't get the big picture. But the big picture of the book of Acts and of verse 11 is that Christ is working in the mission of the church. Christ appears in a vision to Paul because he wanted Paul to be there and plant that church. And he stayed there for as long as he did. You see, what we find in the big picture of verse 11 is that the future of the church is not on our hands. It is in the hands of Christ. Christ is the one leading the way for Paul to do what he's doing here. He's the one who led the church out of Jerusalem to the entire world, to part of Asia, to Europe, to the Americas. Paul is the, God is the one who is moving the work of the church through history to different countries. I recently read a book on the history of missions. And the author of the book, he makes a statement that I, I thought was uh, valid for the service this evening as we think about the works of Christ and in his church. And he says that, Christian history from the first century onward suggests that there are no permanently Christian lands. Christianity is a zero in its growth, often decaying in its centers of apparent strength in order to start anew at or beyond its margins. I think the same thing is true in our day and age. 
We look back to Europe, and Europe doesn't need a revival anymore. It needs a new church planting. We need people going back there and teaching them again about the gospel. Think about Scotland, the, the mission place where this missionary came from, which sent missionaries to all over the world. Now less than 2% of their population are Christians. So we don't think about Europe, about let's pray for revival. We think about we need to go back there and, and start all over again. And we see this moving, happening right now. Because people have been saying that in Asia and Africa and South America has more Christians than any other place of the world. People say that in China there are so many Christians underground that probably there are more Christians in China than there is in the United States. So Christianity doesn't belong to a single land. It's always moving. Now the work of Christ is something that should encourage us. Because he's not abandoning his church. He's working through the centuries. Doing things that we don't understand. But he's doing just what he wants to do. Whatever pleases him. But as we think about the work of Christ through the missions and through the churches and through the centuries, perhaps this is the moment where we need to think about the work of Christ in our own lives. So, Christian, what is the work of Christ in your life? What has Christ done in your life? The Christ that is working and is the king and the head of the church What did he do for you? Did he save you? Did he bring bring you to the conclusion that your life is meaningless apart, apart from him? Did he help you to understand that Christianity is not something that we do on Sundays, but is who we are, what we believe is what we practice? Did Christ help you to see that there is hope? And to understand where you came from, what your life means right now, and what is going to be of your future? Did Christ expose to you how sinful and bad you are? And through His Spirit, did He give you a new life? Did He break the dominion of sin out of your life and show you the way of truth? We see we are here this evening talking about the works of Christ and how encouraging it is to see the works of Christ in history. And it is because He has worked in us that we are encouraged to do the same for others, to tell them about the love of Christ, regardless of our fears. It is in the works of Christ that we find the encouragement that we need, even to share the gospel in face of opposition. You see, in God's providence, God used Peyton and his efforts. And much of that island became Christian. They were converted. Through the work of one man, who in the midst of a time where everybody was saying, don't do that. They're going to kill you. They're going to destroy you. They're all fearful of what's going to happen with him. During that moment where he decided to go and do and was encouraged by Christ, 
God used that man to bring glory to his kingdom. So Christian, let me invite you this evening to be encouraged by Christ's commandments. Speak without fear. Be encouraged by your Savior's promise. He is with his church. He is the king of the church. He reigns with his church. And be encouraged by his works. The work that he has been doing the life of his church. And if you are here with us this evening. And you have not experienced the work of Christ in your life. The same gospel that Paul was commanded to preach. We are preaching to you this evening. Do you want to have a life with meaning? Come to Christ. Do you want to understand your identity? Which is something that our society doesn't know anymore. You need Christ in your life. Do you want to understand how bad you are? And how needy you are of a Savior? Come to Christ this evening. And understand through the freely offer of the gospel... That there is a God who has predestined people to eternal life. And he has many in this church, in this city, and all over the world who need to hear the gospel and be transformed by the power of Jesus Christ. Don't let fear dominate you. Keep on. Christ is the king of the church. Let us pray now. The Lord God who saved us from our sins, we are thankful, Lord, that it is in Christ that we find the commands, the promises, and the works to encourage us to share the gospel to others, even in the midst of persecution, even when we are fearful of the consequences of sharing the gospel. And we pray, O Lord, this evening that you would encourage us as Christians and as your church to share the gospel regardless of our fears, to be encouraged by the work of Christ in us, and to love others as we are commanded to love them as we love ourselves. Help us, O Lord, to be faithful to our call, to preach and to share the gospel, O Lord, to all who are around us. O Lord, we pray that even those, O Lord, who have not received and being transformed by the gospel of Christ, that this evening, O Lord, you change their hearts. We pray, trusting, O Lord, in the power of our Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.